Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And before we go any further in our program today... It's time, as it is from time to time, to do a little bit of shout out and thank you to some of you very, very faithful listeners, people who have written great letters, people I've run into recently, especially. I'd like to thank once again Nicholas, who listens to us from out in Tehachapi. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Tehachapi, California. That's Nicholas from Tehachapi, California. Hello, Nicholas. Thank you for listening. I know you've written to me and asked some things, and I'll try to get to requests, but the main thing is I want to Thank you for listening. And also for Carlos. Carlos, who's also out in California, in Avinal, California. That's Avinal. Carlos, thank you for your letters and also your requests. And again, I'll be trying to get to them as soon as I can. But again, above all, I just want to say thank you for listening and for taking the time to write to us. And also, of course, our ever-present friends, Sonia, out in Orinda, California. San Sonia Cavazos. And also, of course, the one who's been with us from the very beginning, who we really owe it all to, and that is Charles Cook. Charles Cook from Saginaw, Michigan. Thank you, Charles, again, for all of your communications and your great ideas and all your encouragement and so on, all your faithfulness since the very beginning. In fact, we're going to be coming up on our 400th broadcast of Light of the East, 400th consecutive broadcast without repeating a single program. And that is only because of God's grace and all of you who have supported us and have been encouraging, especially by your prayers. But also a special hello out to Mrs. Marie Gray out in Great Falls, Montana. Great Falls, Montana. And she writes, thank you for your Sunday morning broadcast of Light of the East. It truly makes the start of our day holy and happy. We attend Saturday Vigil Mass. Your program brings back memories of these celebrations that we experienced during our Air Force tour in England at United Air Force Base at uh, Lockenheath, I think it says, Lockenheath. And this was, uh, she's crediting also a priest of ours, Father Joseph Stanichar, now retired, who introduced them to the Eastern Liturgy, the Divine Liturgy. So again, Mrs. Marie Gray, thank you again for your kind letter and for letting us know that you listen. That above all is the main thing, that you listen and even beyond that, that you pray for us. And we really appreciate when you say things that 
you know, how we've, what, what this program is meant to you, how it is affecting your lives and touching you. We really, really appreciate that. It's very touching for us. Above all, please do pray for us as we do pray for all of you. Now, I also want to let you know that coming up at my particular parish in Homer Glen, Illinois, our teenagers are trying to make their way to California. By the way, we have a lot of great listeners out there in California. Oh, and there's one more person I ran into recently. Can't forget him. His name is Jim Dershin. Jim Dershin, who listens to us out from uh, St. George, Romanian Byzantine Catholic Church in Canton, Ohio. Canton, Ohio, on Living Bread Radio. So hello, Jim, and it's great seeing you at the men's conference there. So thanks for coming up to me and introducing yourself. So uh, back to what I was saying, what I would like to let you know that at my church, we're going to have a yard sale, and it's important to us because our teenagers are working very hard to make their way out to California, where many of you listen to us, and that yard sale is Friday and Saturday, June 15th to the 16th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. The teenagers are trying to make their way out to the National Byzantine Youth Rally, which is going to be held at the University of San Diego, beautiful University of San Diego campus in San Diego, California. See, what this event is, and it's rather notable, it's one of the great, great bright spots of the Byzantine Catholic Church in America. It truly is. It gathers together all of the youth, the teenagers, that's why we call them Byzantines, little play on word. We spelled it B-Y-Z-A-N-T-E-E-N, Byzantine the Byzantine Youth Rally. It's held every other year, and it moves around the country because we have Byzantine Catholics all over the country, and we have them in four eparchies, which, of course, for us are our dioceses. Eparchy is our word for diocese in the Byzantine Church. And because they're sort of spread out like that, we give them an opportunity to come together and support each other and get to know there's other Byzantine Catholics besides them because most of them are, well, there's not too many around. Like you have uh, Byzantine Catholics and For instance, in California, maybe the closest ones aren't until maybe another state or two over, and it goes across the country like that. They're concentrated more so in the Midwest and the east part of the United States, but Byzantine Catholics are not as populated throughout the western part of the United States. So what we do is try to draw them all together every other year at a rally, a teen rally. We bring in guest speakers, and we have all kinds of activities for them, prayer and talks and conferences and confession and liturgy. And one of the highlights of it is that our bishops, all of our bishops come together. It's a very moving experience. Never forget when it first happened. All of our bishops come together at the main liturgy, called the Hierarchical Liturgy, Liturgy of All the Bishops, together with all the youth, the representative youth of their church in America. It's just an amazing thing to think that the, the fathers, the spiritual fathers of our church come together and pray and celebrate the divine liturgy with the children, literally with the children of their family, their spiritual children from across the country. They get to know each other. They get to, especially nowadays with uh, social communications, you know, they text, they do texting and Facebook and all that. They really form a kind of a network for each other. And that's exactly the point of it. That's how it was conceived. It was conceived to bring our far-flung young people together to strengthen each other in fellowship and prayer and activities and learning and also so they will have long-lasting relationships and that their involvement, enthusiasm, and commitment to their own Byzantine Catholic Church hopefully will be throughout their lifetime. And maybe even they'll, be, they'll, of course, get married to each other, even encourage each other to enter religious vocation and just, in general, support each other. Because we're kind of a rare species, as it were, the Byzantine Catholics. There's few of us, and we're spread all around the country. But, you know, Size isn't everything. You can be small but mighty at the same time. And we are mighty in the sense of our spirituality, the mighty spirituality that we have inherited from the great saints, from the scripture, of course, from Jesus Christ above all, and also from the great saints, the fathers of the church, people like St. John Chrysostom and St. Basil the Great, and the great desert fathers, St. Anthony and St. Pacomius, and so many of the great 
ascetics and mystics of the church. That's our heritage. It's a rich, deep, profound heritage. And that's precisely why John Paul II wrote his apostolic letter, Orientale Lumen, which means lay the east, which, of course, is where we get our program, the name of it. And he wrote that precisely making the point that the Catholic Church, the whole Catholic Church, should learn about the Eastern churches because of the riches of the Eastern churches, the deep riches that are oftentimes not known by people, even within the Catholic Church. And to be enriched by these riches and also to work toward unity between the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church, who are not in communion with each other at this time. The Eastern Catholic churches, of course, are. The Eastern Catholic churches, like our church, my church, they are the churches that are, were once part of the Orthodox churches after the schism in 1054 AD, but in the last uh, several centuries, parts of the Orthodox churches reunited with Rome. And those parts of the Orthodox church, again, these are partial reunions, these partial reunions between parts of the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church are what we'd call today the Eastern Catholic Churches. So that's a little bit of the 2,000-year history of the church that breathes with both lungs east and west. So that's a kind of a long background as to why our teenagers are having a yard sale. So they can come together and relish and strengthen this legacy of theirs, this very unique and profound and rich legacy of the Byzantine Catholic Church. So that's June 15th and 16th, Friday to Saturday at my church, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. During these months of May and June in particular, these are beautiful months, and as a result, there are many times when people like to schedule weddings and also ordinations. So we're going to look at the two things together that oftentimes come together in an Eastern Catholic or Eastern Orthodox priest. That's right, marriage and ordination. I've come from a long line of married priests. Now, we have to get something established up front. I'm going to say it the proper way. In the Eastern churches, the Eastern Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches, married men can become priests. Priests do not marry. So you have to say it correctly. A married man can become a priest. But once you're a priest in the church East and West, you cannot be married. So I come from a long line of married priests, which means that my grandfather, great-grandfather, and so on, actually I trace it back uh, 300 years on both sides of my family. These men became married. They got married while they were seminarians and then were ordained after that. They actually had to be married before they were deacon, before they come to what they call major orders. Now, this custom has been a custom that's been unbroken in the Eastern churches since the time of the apostles. In America, though, when the Eastern churches began to come here in the form of the first immigrants that came from, especially from Eastern Europe and areas like that, when they came here, they were kind of a strange breed. They were kind of strange to what was already the established hierarchy in Roman Catholic Church in America. In fact, the Eastern Catholic faithful had to report in to the Roman Rite Bishop at the time because we did not have our own bishops here yet. We didn't have our own clergy here yet. Basically, our faithful preceded our clergy and our bishops, and they began to establish and build their churches. And later on, soon after, the clergy came over here. But in the meantime, they were trying to establish themselves in a land in which they were seen to be kind of odd or strange. When they said that they were Catholic, many of the Latin Rite Catholics did not understand who they were at the time. They didn't understand what an Eastern Catholic was. Then along came the clergy, and the clergy reported in the local Latin Rite bishop, and they had wives. And this actually became a source of scandal to the Latin Rite hierarchy at the time, who were largely made up of bishops from German, Irish descent, 
and they weren't so familiar with the customs of the Eastern Catholic churches. And so there were some tensions that began, and that kind of created a whole era of history of the married clergy in America. And we're going to talk about that history and this whole idea of marriage and priest ordination coming together in the form of an Eastern Catholic priest. When we return, I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Did you know that God constructed women's arms differently than men's? I am Father Thomas Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The axis of a woman's outstretched arms angles inward at the elbow, whereas in men, the axis is straighter. This enables women to bring things to themselves easier than men. Everything about a woman's body, her mind, heart, and soul, is designed for connectedness and to bring the world close to her heart. The language of her body says that God is close, tender, and loving. But she also has what John Paul II called a genius. It is her gift of receptivity, stamped in the very design of her body. The Pope said that this makes woman the archetype of the human race because God designed the human race simply to receive his love. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East, this beautiful month of May. As I mentioned, since it's a beautiful month of May and also getting into June, it's a time of weddings and ordinations. And we're putting the two together in the custom of the married priesthood in the Byzantine, or they're all actually all the Eastern Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches. Now, this custom was preserved, as I mentioned, in various forms of its consistency, depending on history and the culture and the country. As I mentioned, when the Eastern Catholic priests came here to America with their wives, it was a source of scandal to the Latin Rite clergy at the time. And to make a long, rather unfortunate part of history short, what happened was they pressed Rome, and Rome made a law. It was back in the 1890s, and again, it was reaffirmed in 1929 that in America, actually, called the word they used was the New World. The New World, America was called the New World at that time. You may be familiar with Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony. It was a symphony dedicated to America. It was called the New World at the time. So Rome said that the clergy in the New World, who serve in the New World, would all have to be celibate across the board. So that basically stopped the unbroken custom of ordaining married men to the priesthood for the Eastern Catholic churches who were in North America. Now, it did not affect the churches that existed, the Eastern Catholic churches that existed in Europe, in other words, our countries of origin. So they retained that unbroken tradition of married clergy. Under John Paul II, though, however, the Eastern churches were allowed through their bishops to restore, to return to that custom of ordaining married men, even in North America, on a limited basis, if they so choose. So what happened was, little by little, some of the Eastern Catholic bishops began to consider, reconsider, and restore the custom of married priests. In other words, ordaining married men to the priesthood. 
And we also, of course, have the restoration of the diaconate, who also are married as well. So now we have a growing phenomenon in the Eastern Catholic churches in America that was not present for a number of years, for about maybe 75 years or so. We did not have that tradition, our own tradition in America, of having married priests. So little by little, we're restoring that or returning to it. My own bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, has been taking a bit of a lead in that, but also with great caution and judiciousness and discernment. Because as I mentioned, it's not something you can just jump back into. And here's why. Where you had a custom of married priesthood, you had a culture that supported that. The culture and the church were much more wedded in Europe, where this custom came from when it came to America. And by and large, you had the reality that the daughters of priests, or girls that came from priestly families, tended to be the best candidates to be married to a man who would become a priest. So you had a couple of systems of support. You had sort of the the, the village and the sort of the, the village community support, which was so wedded with the church and the faithful. If you go to these little villages in Europe, little towns throughout Europe, you'll always see the cross or the onion dome sticking up in a village. It always marks the village. Always don't know you're getting close. You see on the horizons the, the mark of the cross or the, or the onion dome. In other words, the custom of church and state, of, of how people live in society and their faith was much more wedded. So you had much more of a, of a kind of a support from the very community or civilization itself, but also it was preserved within the priest's families. That's why I come from a long line of married priests on both sides of my family, because they tended to what you might call intermarry. In other words, my mother was the granddaughter of a priest, my father was the son of a priest, and the two of them met together at a gathering in which the priest families got together to socialize, and the children met each other, and eventually they married each other. And this is oftentimes the case when a man was a seminarian, the wife that he would eventually marry usually came from a priest family, not always, but for the most part. So that's one of the reasons why we can't just jump back into this tradition in America, because it's a very different thing. Girls in our culture were not brought up in priest families. They weren't brought up in a culture that supports married priesthood, let alone the Catholic faith at all. We, we live in a very secular society that insists on separation of church and state. Whereas in the countries where this tradition came from of married clergy, as I mentioned, the society was much more supportive. So it's very wise to return to this in a very judicious and discerning way. Also, what is not understood sometimes is that this issue of having married priests is not something that should be part of any kind of agenda or so-called liberal agenda. In other words, we do not restore or look towards allowing married men to be ordained to the priesthood along with, say, for instance, issues like the push for women's ordination or this type of thing. In other words, it should not be ensconced in any kind of agenda. It has its own integrity, its own venerable tradition, as the Pope said, that's been since beginning of Christianity, and it's not something that's part of an agenda. It's something that is innate, especially to the Eastern churches. In the Western lung of the church, there were married clergy up until the first millennium, the first thousand years, actually, of the Roman Catholic Church. They also had married priesthood, but it has not been the practice for now over a thousand years in the Latin Rite Church. So the Latin Rite Church is very much committed, it seems, to the celibate priesthood. The Eastern churches are committed to their tradition of allowing married men to become priests. And largely, these men serve in parishes. Now, having said that, however, it's also very important to note that the church, the very church, the Eastern churches that have a married clergy, are the same and very church that has essentially given the world celibacy or a spirituality of celibacy. In other words, monasticism and the witness of monasticism and celibacy. 
That came from the eastern churches. It was in the deserts of Egypt and the Middle East and eventually into Russia. In other words, where the eastern churches were born, that the custom of monasticism arose. Eventually that spread to the West and took on different forms, such as religious orders and so on. But the origin of monasticism, therefore the celibacy that's part and parcel monasticism, developed in the East. So here you have a church that has a married clergy, a tradition of married men being ordained to the priesthood, and yet that very church is the one that gave celibacy to the world. Now this is very significant in understanding the Eastern churches, and understanding especially also the issue of married men in the clergy, whether as deacons or priests, and it's very significant because what we have here illustrated is the fact that in our lives, what we are called to in one way or the other is to live, as John Paul II said, spousally. So that's the central theme of his theology of the body, that the spousal mystery, in other words, to love as God loves, to give ourselves as a free, faithful, full, and fruitful gift to someone or somebody, to a spouse of some sort, that that is what makes us most human. That's what fulfills us as human beings. And so life really, vocation, is all about some choice to live spousal, in other words, to be married. Now, celibacy and sacramental marriage are actually not diametrically opposed, as our culture sometimes thinks, but they're actually two sides of the same coin. They're two ways to be married. That's right, to be espoused, to give of ourselves totally to someone else. In other words, to die to self and to rise to the other. That's what marriage is. That's what living spousally is. And a human being only finds themselves by giving themselves away. This is a big point in Gaudium et Spes in the documents of Vatican II, that the human person is the only person made for its own sake, and that we only find ourselves by making a sincere gift of ourselves. Another word for that is, I like John Paul II's word, it's to live spousally, to be espoused, to be given over to, whether it's to a particular bride or groom, as a human being, you know, wife or husband, or if it's a more of a mystical bride, such as the church. For me, as a celibate priest, naturally my bride, mystically speaking, is the church. And I live with the church, with the bride, in very much the same way as a married man lives with his own wife. In other words, it's the same principles that apply. It's just that it's directed at one is an earthly bride, another one is a mystical bride. Now, in the custom of married priesthood, this idea of the celibate witness is actually ensconced in there, believe it or not. In other words, and this is true in the Eastern churches, this is something a lot of people don't seem to understand whenever this issue comes up. In the practice of the married clergy, where the churches that have this practice in the East, wherever this practice is, it involves also the prescriptions for abstinence at times between the priest and his wife. And one of those times is prior to him celebrating the Eucharist, and also during the fasting periods of the year when everybody else fasts as well, such as during a time of Lent. And why is this? Well, the church in her wisdom, even the church that has a married clergy, knows that ultimately marriage is for this life, that in heaven, as the scripture says, as Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 12, we will not be married as we know marriage on this earth, but we'll all be one bride united with Christ, the ultimate bridegroom in heaven. In other words, the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast of the Lamb is the image that the Bible presents 
at the smash ending of the Bible, the book of Revelations, for the idea of our ultimate destiny as humans. In other words, to be, in a sense, virginally married. In other words, to be united as one intact with Christ, the way it was always meant to be. Sacramental marriage is a taste that on this earth, and celibacy is kind of like making that present already on this earth, making that virginal marriage present on this earth. In other words, our ultimate destiny is made present and manifested on earth through monasticism and celibacy. But the two go together, two sides of the same coin, even and especially where there is a practice of married priests. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God. And may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.